podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. Cassandra Peterson. didn't ask her whether she knew anything about the 1980s. Or if she went to a prestigious broadcasting school or anything. Right, nothing. Huh. I just knew she was around the same age. Yeah. I just kept piping up, I guess, yeah. <laughs> so that, so in short, Ray was 25% right. Yeah. Duran Duran. <laughs> there you go. Nailed it. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name is Will, and joining me as always are my... I'm not going to say friends anymore. I realize that doesn't yeah. sound professional. Like now, especially Kat, seeing how she listened to the episodes, like we just pu- pu- plucked a listener out of the audience. Mm-hmm. I'll just say co-host, and it sounds like a professional thing. Joining me, as always, are my co-hosts, Ray and Kat. Hi, guys. Hello there. We got a professional process in place that, mm-hmm. you know, brought us all together. Absolutely. Hey, on today's show, we're going to be speaking with the queen of Halloween, the mistress of the dark, Elvira. Or, or rather, the woman behind the personality, Cassandra Peterson. Uh, mm-hmm. She recently published a memoir, uh, Yours Cruelly, Elvira Mis- Memoirs of the Mistress of the Dark. And we'll be chatting about her becoming the icon that we're all familiar with in the 1980s. That's when it began. That's when she rose to prominence. It all began in our favorite decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, a quick announcement. Just a reminder, we're going to be doing monthly or semi-monthly 1980s trivia on Facebook live if you're interested in participating, let us know what day of the week is best for you. We're going to be starting in February, probably the second week of February, I think, it seems like. Now, we're going to be using new software. There's going to be prizes. Everyone will be able to compete. So head over to Facebook mm-hmm. and follow us there or send us an email at will at 1980snow.com and say, I'm interested. How do I get in on this? And then I'll tell you <laughs> to follow us on Facebook. So just follow us on Facebook. But let us know the day of the week. Or whatever. Okay. Hey, once again, people have been. <laughs> yeah, they have been. Yeah, I know. I think we're coming down yeah. to something here. Looks like it might be Thursday <laughs> nights at 9 p.m. All right. You guys able to Ooh. do that? Are you able to do that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got some ideas of how yeah. we yep. can do it together, like maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, okay. Yeah. So, what we're so, okay. Once again, it's time to thank you for your cooperation. So we received a message from Xerox on Instagram. Xerox writes, hello, I'm a fan of your podcast. I'm a 16-year-old girl who lives every day like it's 1983. Wow. I love listening to Depeche Mode, Susie and the Banshees, The Human League, and Soft Cell. I enjoy post-punk in new romantic fashion, and I'm interested in beauty history. This is always fascinating to me when a young person, you know, loves the 1980s in a way that we would have when we were 16-year-old girls. Well, 16-year-old, you know, whatever gender you were. (laughs) Uh, so I, look, let's find out more about this. We can get Xerox on the phone here. Yeah. Hi. Xerox. Hey, welcome. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. I, so we so thoroughly appreciate you sending us a, a message here and we are, you know, I don't know. I want to say fascinated because hmm, it sounds like maybe we're surprised, but we're not surprised folks love the 1980s because we love the 1980s. I guess we always find it curious when when someone who didn't grow up in that decade also loves the 1980s. How is it that you came to find this decade that you weren't even born in yet? 
Well, um, I've always been raised on like the music and things, but it really started when I was in fifth grade. Okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what was your uh, first introduction to the 1980s? Um, well, I was always raised on the music, but, um, I, I remember in second grade, I watched the lost boys for the first time and I was like, Whoa. And then I kind of like forgot about it. And then like, I started listening to more music in like fifth grade. And that's how I like started to like love the eighties. Tell us what music you started listening to. Um, I started listening, I started off with, uh, Tears for Fears, Kajagoogoo, Alpha, Alphaville, oh. um, The Cure. Mm. Wow. It's all great stuff. Oh my goodness. <laughs> awesome. I, I love how you saw awesome. the Lost Boys in second grade, much like someone in second grade in the 1980s would see a movie that was probably a little too mature for them, you know? <laughs> so, uh, is there an, is there an adult in your life that introduced you to this? Someone who actually grew up with in the eighties? Yeah, my mom grew up in the 80s. And so was she playing this music around the house or she's, hey, hey you're actually- Yeah, she played out. it. Yeah. Like constantly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Good mom. Yeah. I mean, we grew up listening to the music of our parents and I love so much of the music my parents exposed us to. We've talked about this on the show before. Uh, does your, is your mom, uh, it's, does she dig in the fact that you and you both have this sort of thing to- bond over or you know share in common is yeah music? she was actually amazed she's amazed because i actually know more underground things than she does like like i've learned more than her and yeah. she was in the 80s <laughs> she lived it that's I awesome. love that huh. honestly my daughter i have a daughter who's you know she's a little bit older than you are she would love to teach me about the 80s but no i know too much although <laughs> you probably know way more about the underground than any of us on this show do right <laughs> Probably. <Yeah. laughs> maybe maybe raise underground punk knowledge. Hmm. Oh, so true. If there was a band that you could see from the 1980s now, who would you want to say? Oh, there's so many. Probably, definitely Depeche Mode. Okay, nice. It's nice. great that you could have that possibility. They were supposed to tour. I think it was last or two, probably in 2020, right? And then it mm-hmm. got postponed. I'm trying to remember. They were touring with someone else. It was really interesting. Maybe it was New Order. Hmm. It was a great lineup. I wanted to go see it too. Yeah. Um, so how Tears long- for Fears is touring. Oh, oh maybe it was with Tears for Fears even this actually. spring. Hmm. Well, they're coming up. I don't think they were. Okay. I don't think it was in the past. I think um, they're supposed to mm-hmm. pretty soon. So uh, keep your eyes open. See if they're coming near your town. So uh, you mentioned otherwise being otherwise living your life like it's 1983. Why 1983? First of all, how is it that you connect with that particular year? Well, because it's like my most favorite decade in the 80s. Yep. There was like the early post-punk and the new romantics and the Blitz Kids and all that. So it's that uh, influx of uh, like new wave and uh, music from the from uh, England that flooded mm-hmm. the US early on, yeah. Yeah, that was the second mm-hmm. British invasion. I think they call that right. Yes, yeah. we talked about that on the show because Duran Duran was a, uh, I guess you'd say a beneficiary of that scene, right? Is that of a, that wave? Yeah. Absolutely. Do you like Duran Duran? I love Duran Duran. I have a pin oh. right here. Oh, oh, oh! I was gonna ask you, what are your pins? Oh, oh so my gosh! And one of them is Duran Duran. Oh, I love that. What else is <laughs> They're on my there? favorite. Here. I got one that yeah. says I'm in control. This was my aunt's in the eighties. And then I got this one. It's uh replicas. It's like the um, album cover for Gary Newman, two boy army. And then I have this tears for fear. 
Avengers one, wow. the Duran Duran one, and the Secure one, the Cure one. Very wow. Cool. We're not worthy. Well, I'm not worthy. Yeah, vin- I'm not worthy. Cat's got some vintage <laughs> stuff, but uh, Ray, you don't have any vintage stuff, do you? I don't. I don't have anything left. Yeah. I think most everything's gone at this point. Like yeah. I used to have a lot of pens and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. uh, but most of mine would be like uh, like metal bands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, or your punk bands, stuff like that. Yep. So when you have a got- Rio pin on my jacket. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Xerox, in your message, you uh, you say you lived your life like it's 1983. What other aspects of your life would you say uh, you know, incorporated, I guess, in that? Well, um, I have vintage clothing. I have this little CRT TV. Uh, I also have a VHS player. Nice. And I try not to listen to the music of today. And I listen to my record player, my cassette player. I'm planning to get an eight track player soon. (laughs) Wow. You're going back in time. (laughs) I agree with the new music. We've talked about that. We refuse to listen to it too. (laughs) Not all of us. I was going to say, I like a lot of new stuff. Okay. (laughs) But Xerox, you're trying not (laughs) to listen to it. You're actively avoiding it. Yeah. I'm trying to stay away from the trends. Mm. Well, Zero, okay. we're so grateful that you are, as you write, you're a fan. We're going to trust you on that. We don't know that we have any fans, but we're going to trust you when you say that. Uh, and we certainly wish you all the best. And, uh, you know, we're, we're grateful because, you know, it just helps carry carry on the 1980s pop culture that we're such fans of. So thanks, thanks for, for joining us today. Thanks for listening to us. It's nice yeah. to meet you too. Yeah. Have a nice night. You too. All right. Hey, let's get caught up on 1980s All right, hey, on 1980s news this week. Oh, you know what? I really got to play this. Oh, got to warn just in case there might be a minor spoiler involved, I think. (laughs) Maybe not. Let's see. Yes, minor Mm -hmm. spoilers for Cobra Kai season four, which is airing right now. All of it's there on Netflix, and the three of us have watched it. Maybe we'll Mm -hmm. talk about that at some point in the future. But today we're just going to have a minor spoiler. It doesn't affect the plot, really. In an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, Ralph Macchio explains why, to this day, he's also disappointed with The Karate Kid Part 3. We've talked about this. That movie's terrible, right? It is terrible, but I kind of love its terribleness. Mm. As, a, as a third entry in the Karate Kid universe, yep. I don't mind it. Oh. I th- if it was the All first right. movie, I'd, I wouldn't like it. Yeah. But <laughs> the character of Terry Silver yep. carries that whole movie. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's just manic over the top 80s strung out on cocaine right millionaire (laughs) like what do you need i think the plot it works hey friend come torment this kid yeah i'll do it (laughs) i'm in he was all in my favorite scene is when he's sitting in his sauna or whatever and he's like maniacally laughing and he has that cell phone that's as big as a brick Yes. <laughs> See, it stuck with you. So how bad of a movie could it be? <laughs> you know what also stuck with me? The only film I ever walked out on, which I think was called The Prisoner or The Prison, and it was style that guy, uh, mm. uh, hmm, I think that guy that played uh, Tarzan. Oh, wait, no, it was, oh. I think it was Christopher Lambert. Was it Christopher Lambert? Oh, it was terrible. Oh. I walked out. It was in the 90s. Only movie wow. ever. Anyway, anyway, according to Ralph Macchio, he also hates the movie too, or he's disappointed. He says, quote, the story was only repeating itself and not, and not character forwarding for the end of LaRusso. In the end, there were parts of the character I didn't embrace as well as I did with the original and the first sequel. I don't put it on the top of my resume. I'd like to see that resume. I wonder what's on there. 
Yeah, right. Well, if he doesn't <laughs> mind, then I'll start using it on my resume. <laughs> and put it on the tippy top. I was, yes. I played the part of Danny LaRusso mm-hmm. in Karate Kid 3. Because nobody's actually seen it, according to these people. So. Right. And I challenge you to find it on Ralph Macchio's resume. You won't. You're you thinking won't. it was him in there, but you're misremembering. <laughs> <laughs> but like you guys are pointing out, he also concedes that the Cobra, that Cobra Kai, the show on Netflix here, provides an opportunity to right some of the wrongs. Uh, from mm-hmm. that film, saying, quote, mm-hmm. the creators find ways to take that story and let it evolve and find backstories for characters who might have been thinly written. So you take a character like mm-hmm. Terry Silver for this show, Cobra Kai, that's the spoiler, he's on it. With those larger than life elements in his relationship with Daniel, then add those layers of complexity to his evilness and now it becomes a refined performance, end quote. Yeah, I guess it's, look, he's the bad guy on Cobra Kai season four. That's the spoiler, mm-hmm. but again, it's not a big mm-hmm. spoiler. He's in the very first scene of the very first episode, I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah. Yep. I love that they made fun of the movie and oh, the yeah. show. Yes. <laughs> well, it's a, he's actually a really good actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I was impressed. I thought it was going to be hokey and, mm-hmm. and really bad, but he actually, like everybody else on the show, yeah. for, for some reason, their acting chops are still good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. His performance in this series made that, sort of wacky character, more grounded and believable. Yes. And I agree. Um, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The cat points out, yeah, they, there's a couple lines in there. It's, it's in that first episode that he's in, which is the first episode where he says something about like, that was crazy. Like, right. What we did. And he literally, he was, he was like, and I you know, tor- tormented this teenager. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Ralph Macchio was also asked uh, by Hollywood Reporter whether he would consider making another Karate Kid film. He said, quote, I'm not closing the door on anything. At some point, we'll have to wind up this series and tie up the stories properly. And hopefully Netflix gives us that opportunity to finish it. And then it's up for other chapters in other ways. End quote. I don't know if we need another movie, right? I mean, this is more story you could ever hope than hope for. Four years so far, a fifth one on the way. Yeah, I I like this. I like the the series. The only thing they could do is if they actually end the series with a movie. Hmm. If the final Hmm. episode is actually a movie, which would be really cool. That would be interesting. Kind of like Firefly. It's exactly like Firefly. Hmm. Yeah. Still haven't seen that. Which we'll need to see. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Maybe he'll start watching it because it was mentioned on a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. Maybe I should do a top 10 reasons why Will should see Firefly. (laughs) Ray, please do that. I guess the two of you will have to do it. And then don't invite me. Uh, <laughs> well, seriously, don't invite me. So Cobra Kai uh, season four, which dropped on which dropped on New Year's Eve, it quickly became number one on the streamer's top 10 in the U.S. Ahead of that Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence streamer, Don't Look Up, which uh, I'm, I'm curious to see that film. But hey, I love Cobra mm. Kai. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of Cobra Kai, Loudwire asks, are Exodus the Metallica? <laughs> <laughs> so on episode eight of season four, we see the return of Stingray. I love that character. I love that actor. I've seen mm-hmm. him in a bunch of things. He's always hysterical. Oh my gosh. I forgot about him. Yeah. And then when he showed I up, I was like, oh. And I was like, yeah, Stingray is back. And he still yes. has the Stingray shaved on his face. <laughs> I guess this is a dumb spoiler. Uh, Stingray, played by Paul Walter Hauser. Uh, he's confronted by a neighbor who complains that someone was, quote, blaring Metallica all night, end quote. <laughs> Uh, Stingray unsympathetically responds, yeah, that was actually Exodus, bonded by blood, but it's not your fault. You don't know the genre. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So uh, matter of fact, <laughs> amazing. So Ray could tell you this, but Bonded by Blood is the 1985 debut album from the Bay Area metal band 
now widely, widely regarded as the best thrash metal of all time. Is that right? Or one of the best thrash metals? Of all time? Uh, well, it, as you know, the big four has always been debated. And Exodus is one of the bands that, that right? most people will say, you should drop X and mm. put them in. Mm-hmm. But then mm. that just opens a whole can of worms and people just, it just I gets see. ugly. Yeah. Fist Ooh. fights break out. Ooh. But uh, <laughs> you'll get the argument of, you know, uh, the original singer, Paul, for Exodus was originally the singer for Testament, who also is a band. They weren't called Testament back then. They were called Legacy. But Testament is also a band that gets brought up as part of the big four. You should kick this band down and put these guys. And then it just turns into a whole swirling mm. mess. But I will tell you, yep. Bonded by Blood was recorded before Kill 'Em All. And oh. had it not had problems getting released, it would have come out before Kill 'Em All. Mm. And would be much, much more highly regarded yeah. as the first real American thrash metal album. Wow. So in that case, Metallica would be the Exodus. Possibly. Correct. <laughs> it could have turned out that way. Oh. It could have turned out all the bands ripped off Exodus instead of Metallica. Yeah. Or yeah, mm-hmm. or accused of that, yeah. Uh, so it turns wow. out Exodus still perform together. In fact, they released a new album, Persona Non Grata, uh, their 11th, uh, just last year. Gary Holt, the guitarist for Exodus, is a fan of Cobra Kai, it turns out, and he happened to catch this moment in the show, and he <laughs> responded to the reference on Instagram, writing, Rad! One of my favorite shows just through a massive of Exodus reference. Reference So sick. This season is epic. I thought it was interesting that, you know, in order to be able to play these songs, they have to get licensing rights from the publishing company, but that the publishing company wouldn't tell the band, the producers didn't tell the band that you could just be watching a show and see a reference to your own. That's gotta be like mind blowing. <laughs> that is peculiar. <laughs> that I follow him on Instagram. So it was oh. cool when he posted that. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> he totally probably just got surprised by this. Like everybody else. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. That's gotta be so cool. <laughs> Uh, In other 1980s news, on a recent interview with CBS Mornings, Michael J. Fox revealed that he watched Back to the Future for the first time in many years and felt proud. Uh, It actually happened while decorating the tree during Christmas in 2020, so just a year over past this last holiday here. Fox explained that he went, he quote, went to get something in the other room and it was on. The TV was on. It was Back to the Future. It was right at the beginning, I think, the car in the parking lot. Then after about 20 minutes, my family realized that was gone. They said, why are you watching Back to the Future? I said, it's really good. I'm really good in this. I hadn't realized that. All the crazy stuff was good. It was just what I was doing to survive the moment. Uh, He later explained that it was a crazy time in his life uh, when he was making this film. As we know, he was doing family ties at the same time as doing Back to the Future. The producers originally wanted him, but uh, they couldn't get him because of the family ties conflict. So Eric Stoltz got the job. And then Eric Stoltz was let go after, I think, six weeks of production. And Michael J. Fox was brought in to reshoot a number of those scenes again. Uh, of course, Fox has recently been battling Park Bomb well, recently. He's been battling Parkinson for 30 years. Mm-hmm. He was first diagnosed with a disease in 1991. Um, so he made this comment that, you know, in the midst of all the challenges he's having in his life now, he said, quote, I had this moment now, wham, with all this stuff in my life where I could sit and look at this kid and say, wow, he did all right, end quote. There's so many folks like, okay, so, you know, we're going to talk to Cassandra Peterson about her autobiography and it, you learn about the challenging life she had and still became what she did. Or Dee Wallace, we talked to Dee Wallace a few weeks ago, similar thing. You would never know it. It's easy to sort of dismiss celebrities as they've got it all made you know, they're born with a silver spoon in their mouth, not an issue, not a trouble in the world. 
and they still have the same challenges, anxieties, et cetera, as the rest of us. Mm-hmm. I think it gives them humility too and helps us uh, perhaps be able to relate to them more than we would uh, otherwise. Not all of them are like oh, that. Michael no, J. Fox is like that. <laughs> oh, He's a good right. man. I forgot about that. I mean the ones who are humble. <laughs> well, there's not a lot of them, but I'll put Michael J. Fox on that list because he seems right like on. he's an all right guy. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. When he, you ever see that episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm? I think he's on a few episodes. It's a few seasons ago. He plays himself and he is, uh, Larry comes to live in New York because he's, I think he's in hiding from something or, or whatever. He's working on a project. So he's living in a place where Michael J. Fox lives above him. And he just hears like this stomping around sound all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and he storms up and he accuses Michael J. Fox of, you know, doing this to him. And Michael J. Fox, Fox like plays the Parkinson's card. Like, well, what am I, I could be doing? But oh then it goodness. turns out he is putting on a pair of boots and stomping around <laughs> just to drive Larry crazy. Oh, it's awesome. Um, but yes. Okay. So hey, speaking of Cassandra Peterson and other 1980s news, and according to page six, Cassandra Peterson lost 11,000, quote, horny old men, end quote, followers after coming out. So- huh. Uh, Cassandra Peterson, again, we're going to speak with her just a little bit here, but, uh, she, she said that she lost these folks after she came out as queer in September. She said, quote, I knew there were going to be some horny old men out there who were just not going to like the fact they didn't have a chance with me anymore. End quote. She joked on the beyond behind the velvet rope podcast. She laughed and added, and I hate to tell them they already didn't have a chance with me anyway. Uh, for folks who don't know, the 70-year-old queen of Halloween shocked fans last year when she revealed she had a nearly two-decade-long romance with her partner, Teresa T. Wierson. hope I'm saying that right, mm-hmm. Teresa. Wierson? Wierson. Wierson. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she That's later it. added that she, even though she lost 11,000 followers, she also picked up 60,000 new ones after this announcement. So, hmm. Pretty good I, trade-off. Look, <laughs> I, a couple things here. Let's just assume, mm-hmm. like, now Cassandra, really, she talks about this, because I've seen a number of interviews. She says, you know, I'm not gay. I just am in love with this one particular woman. Otherwise I'm really into dudes. So, you know, that's how she, and it may be that, um, that she has an older sort of mentality towards, you know, gender and sexual, sexual preference and all. What's the word? Not sexual preference. Uh, is that what you call orientation? it? Sexual orientation. That maybe that's, you know, it's in the, to try to put it in today's nomenclature. It may be tricky for her, but mm-hmm. anyway, my point is this, who cares? I, to this day, she's a 70-year-old woman. She's still hot. I still think she's super attractive. I don't stand Mm -hmm. a chance with her. My wife wouldn't like it if I did. It doesn't (laughs) matter to me. I'll still follow anything Elvira does. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand why this is such a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. What people do in their private life, who gives a rat's ass? I don't care. She can Mm -hmm. do whatever she wants. Mm -hmm. She's a celebrity. Her personal life has nothing to do with why I watch her on TV. Yeah. Yeah. And and even though Cassandra's been in a relationship with a woman for 20 years, Elvira's still single and she's into men. (laughs) And I think- I I just think it's funny that there's 11,000 people that were like, nah, she's into women. Yeah. Guess I'm- And I don't think it's horny old men. I don't don't think that's the demographic that took off. That's probably true. You're right. Because- those dudes watch a lot of lesbian porn, I'm assuming. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. You could probably yeah. Google <laughs> Elvira lesbian porn and come up with something. And those guys aren't going anywhere, so I don't know. <laughs> That's true. You're right. You're right, Ray. Her breasts have no sexual orientation. Right. <laughs> you're, you're neutral. <laughs> I just realized I'm making actual 
like yeah, cup shapes with my hands. You're trying like, to actually figure it out while you're talking. <laughs> Probably good we're it's not like, recording on I'm doing video. like, what yeah. is that called? Phrenology of the breasts, you know? Where yes. So you could read the shape of someone's skull. It's like, yeah, it's like <laughs> trying to read the size of them in Braille somehow, but mm. there's only two dots. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, mm. Uh, we can keep oh, going Ray. in this. Cassandra, we love yeah, you. Yeah, and this juvenile. Yes. Hey, she tells hey, juvenile oh jokes gosh. too. She jokes more about her boobs I than we could ever I watched her show for years. Yes, that's 100% true. And I read her book. It's fantastic. And there's, oh my God. You know what? Let's get out of the news. We can talk about this briefly here. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, that was 1980s news. Hey, if you like the show, rate, review, subscribe. Seriously, it has an impact. Follow us on Facebook. When we pitch to celebrities they want to say how many followers we have on facebook really seriously so everyone counts you know uh it makes a difference Uh, it's the folks that the content we're able to bring you is affected by these ratings reviews subscriptions followers likes all these things we don't know how it works but we know it works all right there you go Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hey so yeah speaking of cassandra peterson like i was gonna say her book is fantastic and talk about uh the crazy stories she has and not only having i told you she had some challenges in her life but forget about that just these crazy like adventures she went on. I mean, just, I couldn't do it justice. You really should just check it out. It's just a fun story. Even if you just like stories, you'll never believe it. It, it, it It's crazy. But um, I wanted to tell you guys, because you, you know, we most, mostly, she rose to prominence as beginning as this horror host. And one of the stories that's in the book, it's actually in the prologue of the book is how she came to get the job. And I wanted to share it for folks who might not be familiar. So I think even this is interesting. Um, so as we mentioned, she hosts, she winds up hosting Movie Macabre from 81 to 86, which is the, when it, when it runs, it comes back later on, but that's when it lasted in the 1980s. In 1981, she just got married. She was only 24 hours, uh, betrothed, betrothed, uh, mm. mm-hmm. mm. another word. <laughs> into, into the three rings, into the three rings. When her, when her friend Donna calls her at the hotel in Aspen where she's honeymooning. So she figures it must be important. Uh, Donna is, urges Cassandra to get back to Hollywood immediately because there's a friend of hers who's hosting an audition for, a, or holding auditions for a TV horror host. And they're not really quite sure what that is, but she d- explains that they're looking for a local LA TV station, KHJ, is looking for a, quote, sexy Morticia Adams type. Um, but they, they were, and they were, and along those lines, they're looking for someone who could be both sexy and funny. And her Donna automatically thought of Cassandra because not only Cassandra was a was a, was a lifelong horror f- films fan. She was like you, Rach. I mean, she started out with the you know Hammer House. Was it Hammer House mm-hmm. films? And you know those early uh, Universal, the Universal monsters, famous monster stuff. And, and in yeah. addition to that, and that's in her book. It's really kind of fa- fascinating how instead of playing with Barbie, she played with Universal monster dolls. You know, she had a Frankenstein <laughs> and all that, which is just everything in her life led to being her Elvira. But at the same time, for four years prior to getting this call from her friend, she, she had been studying improv with the Groundlings, which is, you know, that's a, that's a place in, in Los Angeles that's been for decades cranking out a lot of the comedic talent we have on Saturday Night Live, hmm. films, you know. Wow. Uh, but Cassandra had rushed to Hollywood so many times before this when she was back home, you know, visiting family, that she finally said, no, I'm not doing that anymore. She was... I think oh. she had just turned 30 or she was just about to turn 30. And p- people had told her when you hit 30, there's no roles for women that are 30 and older. You're just too old at that point. So she figured she wasn't going to ruin her honeymoon just to dash back for a part she was probably not going to get. But when she finally does get home back to LA, the role still is available. It hasn't been cast. They didn't find anybody. So she finds out a final edition is just about to be held. 
So she, she uh, gets the details, signs up, and, and heads over there. She arrives, as she described, feeling pretty hot, you know, sexy, attractive, because she's wearing this <laughs> summery turquoise mini dress until she sees the other finalists that are there because all six of the other women there are dressed in costume. Pasty white makeup, skin-tight black leotards, and a bride of Frankenstein streak in their hair. Hmm. She immediately panics. She flops sweat, soaking through her armpits. So she just kind of cowers, uh, buries her face in, a, in the script, which she finds, as she reads it, is terrible. She said, this is not funny. Again, this is a woman who's been studying comedy now for a few years. So she spends hmm. the time while she's waiting to be called, reworking some of the lines, you know, based on her training. Uh, eventually she gets the time to a chance to audition. She improvises these new lines she made and she leaves. Not sure if she's going to get the job before she's able to even leave the studio. The producer runs up to her and says, you've got the part. Um, wow. So again, it's just sweet. So much of her life seemed lined up to do this, you know, particular mm -hmm. role. It mm -hmm. is curious too, mm -hmm. that, you know, this idea of a TV horror host was really born in LA at this, you know, in this area here, maybe not at that particular station, but, um, the uh, very first host was uh, was the, I don't know, is it Vampira or Vampira? I think it's Vampira. Vampirish. I guess that makes more sense. Vampire. Vampire Show um, was the first horror host on TV in 1954. Um, and then, you know, it's something that uh, 30 years later, she would uh, carry the torch and turn it into something more than it ever had been. And of course, Movie Macabre, although it began, began there, it ultimately gets... I think syndicated throughout the country and starts airing on more stations. Mm -hmm. Does this lead into what you wanted to talk about, Ray? What did I want to talk about? Are you kidding me? Are you oh. referring to the two movies? Is that what you want to yeah. talk about? Well, I figured. Did yeah, I watch right? those movies for no reason, Ray? No, I'm just <laughs> oh. you around brat. here. No, uh, no, I know <laughs> that Actually, the, didn't the first movie yeah. that she played on Movie Macabre was yeah. Grave of the Vampire. Mm. <laughs> These movies oh, are bonkers, man. My and goodness. I watched they that. They couldn't have picked a more <laughs> messed up movie to put on as the first one. Yep. I'm glad to hear you say that, Ray. Because, that you're calling it messed well, up. No. Because wow. Well, hold on. Yep. Okay. Okay. Hold because on. Because vampires are supposed to be sexy. Oh. Not <laughs> creepy rapists. Yeah. Oh my God. That right there that's made that's what freaked me out. I'm like, where's the sexy vampire? That comes out and he's got the mm, eyes. Right. This guy looked like a bargain bin Gene Simmons. <laughs> I was like, look at this dude. No wonder he's raping teenagers <laughs> in the oh, graveyard. Oh, uh, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, so once you yeah. get past that, you're like, all right, maybe this movie will settle down a little bit here. All right. Yeah. Oh, no. No, no, <laughs> nope. No, now the baby doesn't breastfeed. He only wants oh. blood. Oh, so, that so, scene. So uh, that yeah, so, the hypodermic needle. So, oh, oh, oh. so the mom's oh. like, "Hey, totally normal." Yeah, me and this, and she refused to admit that the baby's a vampire. Oh, just completely ignores it. Like, nah, this yeah. is my boyfriend's kid. We were gonna get married and right. stuff, and he's just thirsty for the blood. And yeah, it was like so, Little Shop of Horrors. That's what, what I was, was the plant's thinking. name, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Feed oh. me, Seymour. Yes. <laughs> so then, here's an, another weird twist, which I really like. This, the kid grows up in the movie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I well, supposed it. to be that 30 was a, years later. Yeah. That's what I mean. Was, that was a great twist because I didn't see it coming. Oh, you thought it'd be it more about the mom and the baby. I thought it'd be about the mom and the baby and the, the vampire ugly dude shows back up. And, yeah, the real father, the vampire. <laughs> yeah. I kept so, not knowing which way it was going to go, yeah. but yeah. But uh -huh. man, 
that dude that they got to play him as an adult was huge. That guy mm-hmm. was a big dude. He was imposing, yes. I was like, wow. And then uh, the whole thing where he's fighting him and all that, it was really cool. No, I enjoyed this. Him. I enjoyed when this When did this movie. film first come out? 72. Hmm. 1972. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was quite the something. Guy, actually, the guy who played the adult version, um, William, William Smith is his actual name. Yep. Sounds familiar, but. It's not that Will Smith. It's a different yeah. language. <laughs> He's actually the same actor who played Conan's father in Conan the Barbarian. Oh, I did recognize him. I didn't look it up. There was a couple actors in this. I was and, like, yeah. The, the, and creepy vampire yeah, guy. That guy. Yeah. Well, he's from things. Oh. Nikolai Koloff, Rocky Four, trainer of Drago. Oh. What? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's him. Gosh. That was Croft? <laughs> that was, yeah. Koloff. Nikolai oh. Koloff. No, I mean the character he played. He, that was the yeah, father, Craft, uh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Yep. Michael, uh, uh, okay. Michael Pataki. Huh. Cool. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. And Lynn Peters, who played the mother, yeah. Anna, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she actually appeared on three episodes of the 66 Batman series as Lady Prudence. Oh, oh. right. Okay. I this movie is chock full yes. of big time stars. Oh. And <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> for her part, with this being the first one, she seemed, yep. she wasn't quite what she would become in the later episodes. She was Elvira, but she wasn't quite all the way like funny mm-hmm. as she was going to be with the, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. little tick, you know, the, the shoulder shake she would do and all that and, yep. and uh, the fun stuff she would do. So it was early on. This was her first one. This right? was the first very episode. first okay. episode of Movie Macabre. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, and we should, I guess we should say that, you know, her friend and fellow Groundlings castmate, John Paragon, who we know as Jombie in uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse, and he's in, he's in a number of other things, but, and he was always a character. I don't know that I've ever seen him be himself. Uh, he, he passed away not too long ago, unfortunately, but he mm-hmm. helped her write the show and craft it into what it became, you know, with the sort of puns, and, and he also played that uh, character, the breather on the show, who would... Uh, <laughs> call into the show every now and then. And it was based on another character he did that he, I remember on HBO he had a little short special where it's like this really sweaty teacher. He was a teacher. <laughs> anyway, he was hilarious. He was a hilarious guy too. Cool. So uh, so we're going to move on to the final movie they played on the original run. Okay. Because mm-hmm. this thing, it did end, you know, it ran from 80 something to 80 something. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know. Well, they got canceled, I think. So I don't think this was intentionally the last movie mm. because mm. there were other movies planned okay. mm-hmm. that were never released as mm. far as my research. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, well, I think Bucket of Blood was going to be the last one, mm. which is, uh, as you know, I'm a big Dick Miller yeah, fan. I thought they did that one eventually, but. Mm. I, they may have released it eventually, but okay. at the time the show ended, it did not air. Yep. That would have been a, a fun movie to look at, but I went back and went to the one that actually did air, which is Nightmare City. Man. Oh boy. 1980 <laughs> classic. Right. Hmm. <laughs> this guy, he's a reporter. He's got to go to the airport and he's got to talk to this guy about something. And the news is like, hey, there's bad things happening. Be careful out there. And he gets to the, the airport. And these guys come off the plane with knives and they're stabbing people and they're getting oh. shot and it's just crazy. That was nuts. Yeah. And uh and he's like standing there just watching it with his cameraman. Yeah. Perfectly. And he's like, Hey, 
maybe we should go back to the station and tell somebody. And they casually get in their van and drive away. (laughs) Hugo Stiglitz is the guy who plays the main character. And Quentin Tarantino loves this movie so much that there's a character in Inglorious Bastards named after him. Hugo Stiglitz. Ah. Now, this movie actually, it's an Italian movie. So it came out in 1980 in Italy. Okay. So... Everyone refers to it as Nightmare City now, but in America, it didn't hit us until 1983, and it was actually called City of the Walking Dead hmm. when oh. it first got here. They've fixed that problem a while ago. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. And then uh, Tom Savini has been rumored to, re- to be remaking this thing for decades now, I think, but it just hasn't happened. Is that right? So, oh. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to change a lot to make it a movie you want to see. I don't think you see. have to change anything. It's just bonkers. This thing was awesome. <laughs> like every step of the way was just a surprise. That's true. I mean, like yeah. when you get to that part where at the end, huh, when they're climbing the up the thing and there's a, um, the helicopter, the general's oh, coming. Yeah. 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 Uh, and the news reporter and his girlfriend are like climbing up the roller coaster and he drops a ladder. And he's like, like, Oh, it's actually just a rope. I think he's like, Hey, climb up the rope on a helicopter and I'll save you. Yeah. Hmm. And then goes south, no good. He wakes up, repeat the whole story. Perfect. <laughs> Damn, I don't really remember the ending. I remember the ending, had it wasn't a good ending. It was like a Night of the Living Dead. It was like, this thing's going to continue. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to have a spoiler for anybody. Okay, all right. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. F- it, it came out in 1980. If yeah, you haven't right. seen it, forget it. So <laughs> at the ending, his girlfriend falls and bounces off all this shit and dies. And he wakes up from the nightmare. And then he realizes, oh, that was horrible. I got to go to the, the airport and interview this guy today. Oh, so that's right. It's a constant loop. That's oh, right. And then that creep, that zombie dude's coming no. towards the airplane. Right. The, the, yeah. the airplane's coming in and right. it lands. lands and you're just like, opens. oh, crap, man. Okay. Ugh. Poor wow. bastard. Well, I still want to finish watching it. I actually didn't finish watching this one. Oh, oh. my God. <laughs> the other one had one of those it. endings, too. It was like the ending of the thriller. It was like, ah. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. That at the end, he freaks out, and he's got bangs now. I did. So apparently, when you yes. kill your vampire father, yeah. you well, immediately become. Lost Boys. The vampire <laughs> right. father. Did you hear what he said? No. He, it, it was, what are you referring to? I'm referring to like right before, no, right before he stabbed him. I knew he was going to grab a piece of furniture, like wood or something. And that's how these things work. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But right before that, oh, what did the father say? No, you will continue. Damn you. Curse you. Like he cursed him. He, you got to, you got to look, go look at that again. That's what I don't understand though. He was going to be, he was a vampire anyway though. Right. I mean, just because he he was half (laughs) and half. It was inevitable. He was half and half. Oh, whatever. <laughs> well, I think that he had that tendency, right? From the one scene, he looked like he was going to do something and then he didn't. But then the father well, cursed him somehow. He, he, yeah, but mm, yeah, keep, <laughs> keep in mind, he was also like eating raw meat. Yeah. Well, like yeah. he would pretend to cook it, like, all right, steak's done. He's making a sizzle. He's making a sizzle noise while he's got it in the pan. It was just raw meat sitting there. How do you like yours, honey? (laughs) Well done. Mm. 
Mm. Boy, I hope you like it like they like it in Texas, because I sure do. (laughs) Well, you know, and Cassandra certainly had a way of, uh, look, of injecting some more life, I guess, you know, humor into these things in a way that uh, life (laughs) made them even more interesting to watch. Oh, yeah. And by Um, this time, um, you really have the full Elvira experience Mm. with the, Mm -hmm. the little things that she would come to do over the years, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, the shoulder twitches and the, the really facial like expressions. Right, huh? Well, it makes other <laughs> things twitch too. So, and she knew exactly what was, she was doing at that oh, yeah. point. Oh yeah. So, but there was a lot more winking and, and Joe, just a lot more personality as the seasons went on. Yeah. She just got bigger and bigger as a character, which was fun mm-hmm. to watch. Cause when, as when you go back character. and watch, well, as you go back and watch the first one, you don't realize how much she matured as she goes through to the end mm-hmm. as, as an actress and a comedian yes. Yes. and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So that was mm-hmm. fun. Cause when I was a kid, I didn't realize there was any difference between first episode, last episode mm-hmm. or any mm-hmm. in between. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think she made a big jump along the way. As a kid, I don't know that I ever thought of like, Hey, there's a woman that's pretending to be this character. You know, it's just like, there's a woman who's Elvira. It was her. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It was, that's Elvira. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's not somebody else. That's Elvira. Although I do remember, I'm going to tell you, this is true. When I saw uh Pee Wee's big adventure and like, I think it came out 86, maybe. Hmm. 86. Somewhere it came out. Exactly. Yeah. Seeing her in that scene where she, she plays biker mama. I think they call her. I didn't know that was Cassandra Peterson. I didn't know right. Cassandra Peterson's name, but I'm telling you, this is a true story. When I saw that film in <laughs> Journal Square uh, in Jersey City, New Jersey, I saw that woman who I thought was, you know, very beautiful. That looks just like Elvira, doesn't it? It's uh, kind of, is that Elvira that. by any chance? And back then, I don't know if we had any, I, had, I probably had to go to the library to look up whether it was her or not, but, <laughs> right. which I didn't do. But, um, so the, I guess my point being that, yeah, I th- very much, believed Elvira was a character, but there were a couple of times you spotted her and thought, hmm. That's, that's See, I don't think I even recognized her no. in the Pee Wee movie. No. Mm. I know I didn't. I can't even remember how I became aware of her. Yeah, I might have even said or thought maybe her voice sounded similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I would have never put two and two together until the internet came along and helped us with research. I am sorry. Just like, Elva- just like Cassandra would do herself. I'm hearing so many boob jokes in my head. Hmm. <laughs> Ray recognized her voice, not anything else. And then he said, oh, I didn't put mm-hmm. two and two together. I, oh, oh, man. I was like, well, if she had, she did have a revealing thing on in Pee Wee, though. <laughs> that she huh. did. <laughs> I can't recall when I first saw her, how I became aware of her, but I was very aware of her. It might have been on MTV, I guess. I'm, I'm really Yeah, she did do the shtick sure. over on MTV, yeah. She hosted mm-hmm. videos mm-hmm. like she did the movie Macabre. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. She also sang. She had her own video on one of those specials. It ends with her singing a song and doing her own yeah. music video. She sang in her movie. That might have been it. Well, I was going to say she made the movie. Yep. And by I didn't see and the that's movie. that's towards you know the back end of the show. So she pretty much developed the character to the point where in the movie it was fantastic. Yeah. She mm-hmm, released the record mm-hmm. even as Elvira singing different mm-hmm. songs too. Wow. But she, you know, yeah. again, look, read the book. Like we said about the time life thing the on the last episode. seriously read the book and speaking of read the book this episode is brought to you by wordsmith bookshop Hmm. 
If you love to read, I love to read, you know the joy of searching the stacks at your local bookstore, admiring the cover, reading the blurb, smelling the paper. Am I the only one who smells books? Uh, oh, it smells so good. <laughs> I love the smell of old books. Oh, old books. Okay. Vintage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Skipping to the last page to see how the story ends before you actually buy the book. <gasps> all right, no. All right, I don't do that. I never do that's, that. That's, you're not supposed to do that. All right, all right, all right. Well, <laughs> The problem is large online booksellers, you know the ones, they're driving many of our favorite stores out of business. So instead of supporting some Lex Luthor looking CEO's midlife crisis by helping him take his latest trip to outer space, buy your next book (laughs) from Wordsmith Bookshop. It's just as easy as buying from those soul-crushing giant retailers, but you're supporting the men and women who curate books in local stores throughout the United States. Mm -hmm. Because Wordsmith Mm -hmm. Bookshop is part of the Bookshop Network. So a portion of every purchase on wordsmithbookshop.com, which is, by the way, shop in the old way, S-H-O-P-P-E.com. Ooh, fancy. A portion of every sale goes into a shared pool, which pays out to every independent store that also belongs to that network. Wow. So, you know, nice. at, at, regular, at regular intervals, all these bookstores that participate in this get payouts. And many of them use those funds to pay for rent, pay salaries, or keep the shelves stocked. Now, Wordsmith Bookshop, again, S-H-O-P-P-E, has used that money to give back to their community and help area teachers expand their classroom libraries. Just go to Wordsmith wordsmithbookshop.com again s-h-o-p-p-e we got to talk to them about this can you was wordsmith bookshop with not the p-p-e available (laughs) wordsmith bookshop and (laughs) click on shop all right should we talk to cassandra yes sounds good okay now and and you know full disclosure here this is actually audio from our facebook live interview with cassandra We, we spoke with her on facebook live just last month if you'd so if you if you saw that video or you were part of the facebook live you've heard this audio if not it's mm-hmm. new to you so stick around great mm-hmm. conversation with cassandra if you'd like to be part of a conversation with the future uh, 1980s icon where you get to ask questions you get to make comments you get to say hi they say hi back they answer your yeah. questions follow us on facebook 1980s now and also go and follow our 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 facebook content partner or our content partner on facebook the 80s ruled because we do uh, the show and the, those Facebook lives in connection with them. And they've also got tons of other 1980s content. They're just constantly posting interesting things. Okay. Hey, l- we'll be back in a moment <laughs> with our guest today, Cassandra Peterson. want to hear anymore from me. So, hey, let's bring out our guest. Our guest today began her reign as the queen of Halloween back in 1981 when she auditioned to be the late night host of classic horror films on a local LA TV station. And not only did she get the part, spoiler alert, but our guest spent uh, the, the better part of, or most of the four decades that followed portraying her character Elvira in every medium, radio, film, music, doing the voice for animation, everything. And while much about Elvira remains a mystery, even less had been known about her creator until now. In September, our guest published Yours Cruelly, Elvira, Memoirs of the Mistress of the Dark. And while her alter ego adorns the cover here, the, the, this uh, bestseller quick, quickly became a bestseller because it's a great book. The book actually, though, talks about the and it tells it in a often funny, sometimes heartbreaking, and completely unbelievable 
uh, true story of the woman behind the makeup. And you should check this book out. It's available everywhere. Uh, please welcome to the show, Cassandra Peterson. Cassandra, hey. Hi, how are you, Will? I'm good. How are you? Good. Oh, I have a little shrine to my parents. I was wondering yeah. about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in digging into, of course, everything. First of all, seriously, folks, if you like to read books, just a book, this is a great story. Uh, <laughs> we're twins. But uh, you look, if you're a fan of uh, Cassandra's or Elvira's or you just love a good story, oh my goodness, it's really... I, I was explaining it to a friend, I, it's so, somewhat tongue-in-cheek. I said it's like a sexy Forrest Gump. Because the, the, <laughs> Someone compared it to Forrest Gump. Uh, that's weird. It is quite something. Um, and I, I can't imagine you ever... <laughs> in your wildest dreams. And, you, and we'll talk about how you did some, you know, sort of a, a focus work or meditating on, you know, what you wanted to sort of accomplish in life, but could imagine that you would have this sort of adventure. I know, you know, I never talked about it to people before much. Uh, so I'm kind of glad to get it all out there. I've had uh, so many friends over the years saying, you have to write your life story because I mm. casually dropped the fact that I lived in a tree or that, <laughs> you know, I came from a farm in Kansas or that I was a showgirl in Vegas and people would go, what? <laughs> so I finally decided I needed yeah. to write it down and get it out there. Yeah. Yeah. And it is truly fantastic. It's amazing yeah. how it, uh, you know, we hear your voice, we hear Elvira's voice, which is, you know, this sort of alter ego of your voice. Uh, but, you know, I think about the book and of course, probably in the very least for the marketing only, you have Elvira's picture on here and we only have a little tiny picture of Cassandra and the, there's some photos inside, but on the dust jacket. Yeah. Well, you know, cleavage cells. What yeah. can I do? <laughs> if I had it, I would use it. I mean, <laughs> you I, would. Yeah, Let I me would. tell you, I have. Fine. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> you know, so you uh, think about folks that came out of the 1980s and came out of the groundlings in particular, which is like a machine for talent still to this day, but certainly in the yeah. 80s, it was, you know, turning out folks. But you and your, your, your castmate and friend, Paul Rubens, are two performers that are so well known as their characters. I think it was probably years before people realized that's a real person. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I know it was for me and I'm pretty sure it is for Paul, you know, that, that uh, people really thought that I was Elvira. I mean, I right after Elvira uh, started, I used to get called in on other auditions and I'd walk in the door and you'd see their face kind of just, you know, <laughs> drop because they were expecting this kind of six foot tall raven haired beauty, you know, and I'd come through the door and they were, it was not what they were expecting or looking for. So even folks in the business, you had them uh, cajoled. Yeah, yeah no, I did. Is it, is it better at the time? Certainly now, you know, your book's out, a lot of your story is out there. Do you, do you feel it was better to have that sort of anonymity or, or are there times where you felt frustrated that uh, folks didn't appreciate Cassandra for what she, for what you were doing to create this character? Um, yeah, I never really worried about that. I, w I was really happy to have the anonymity. I really was. I was able to <clears throat> pretty much have a regular life, you know, raise my child in a normal situation, you know, unlike other celebrity children. Um, sure. And and uh, yeah, it was nice having that. So I have a little less of that now, but I'm also older and I don't go out to clubs and hang out that much anymore or anything. So it's not a big deal. But really the only uh, good thing that fame is kind of fo good for is uh, getting seats, good seats in restaurants, you know, and at concerts <laughs> and stuff. Yes. And I would take it for that. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's it's worth the price of all of your uh, privacy or a good percentage of your privacy. But Yeah, well, I didn't have to give up too much of my yeah. privacy, not too much. So I was very, very fortunate compared to other celebrities. Right. Uh, we actually have a question already here from Isaac. Uh, and Isaac's getting right to it. So yeah, the, again, there's, uh, you know, travails, there's ups, there's downs. And Isaac is asking, um, oops, where does this question go? There we go. When writing about trauma, such as your experiences with your mother or sexual assault, does it make you feel numb in a, in a way? Hmm. I don't know if it was numb so much um, as hard to write about, just hard, a little bit traumatizing to write about it. Um, but once I got through it, it was actually kind of cathartic. Mm-hmm. It was great to see it on the paper, get that all out there, tell people what the, you know, what happened. And um, yeah, so it, it was hard to write about really, really difficult. I, I'd go to work that day trying to write and just didn't want to go. Mm. Didn't know where to start. Didn't know how to put it right. down. And it, it would be hard to get through the whole day writing, you know, but like I said, once I did, Ah, it was, it was really nice to get it out there. How many years did it take you to chronicle your life in this book? Well, I started out about oh, 15 years ago trying oh. to write things down, but I just wrote little essays here and there. I would take writing classes once in a while and I'd, I'd write down stories about my life and put them aside. And um, finally, when I really got serious about it, I, I uh, got an agent, I got it. A, a book deal, and then I got paid, and then I set my ass down and did the work. <laughs> you know, because otherwise I was running around doing all these different jobs and everything. You know, trying sure. to make a living, so I really didn't have time to sit down four to eight hours every day and write a book for free. Uh, yeah. A book that I didn't know if I'd make money on it or not. You know, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, we have a question from Lucy, and Lucy's question is quite long, so I don't know if putting it on the screen might. Let's see, I'll read it to you. So Lucy Webb writes, Hey, Cassandra, I'm a queer woman who actually came out in the 90s. But before I was ready to be out myself, I was very connected to gay men and camp culture of the 80s. Looking back, that was just my easiest access point to LGBTQ culture. Since you've come out more publicly, I've wondered if you've had a similar experience looking at some of the choices you've made in your career and with Elvira specifically. So camp. Wow, yeah. I mean, I hung around with nothing but gay men my whole life. I mean... From the time I was about 14 years old, I, I kind of learned everything I know from gay men mm. uh, and drag queens in particular. Um, I think I'm a drag queen. I really right. do. <laughs> I mean, I don't see any difference between me and a drag queen, except right. that I don't have to tuck. You know, but other than that, yeah. uh, we're pretty much the same. Um, and yeah, I, you know, um, I... Um, I, I don't think it made a difference into me coming out. That, that was a big surprise for me at 50 years mm-hmm. old. I fall in love with a woman. First time I was interested in a woman. She's the only woman I've been interested in ever. And I don't know if I'm gay or what the hell I am, but you know, I guess I can't label it. I've, right. I've been with uh, men for a long time. I mean, I was telling some people, I guess I had to switch over to women because I went through all the men, you know, Well, yeah. I was going to say as a middle-aged man who's grown up in the 1980s, I may say something inappropriate, although I was going to say, I, I don't blame you. I don't like men either. 
Or yeah, thank you, you like men. You like men, but you know what I mean. Um, let's see. Uh, Elizabeth wants to know whether you'll be coming back to Australia, hopefully next year. I hope so. I love Australia. I actually did a show there in the 80s um, on, oh God, what was it called? It's channel. It was one of their big, it was network. 13 or so. I, I don't remember, but hmm. I did an actual Elvira show just for the Australian market. And I did it in LA, but I, I since gone there several times to first to promote that later to promote mistress of the dark. And, um, I love it over there. I have so much fun. So I really, really hope I'll be coming back soon. I'll make a point too. Yeah. Um, and I love kangaroos too. <laughs> Do they just are they just roaming the street? No, that's an American's impression uh, of Australia. They're just roaming. <laughs> Not quite. Uh, yeah. yeah, I went to. Um, oh golly, what was his name? I loved him. The nature, the the, the Australian. Oh, Steve Irwin. Yeah, Steve Irwin. I went to his his place after he had passed away. I just mm. loved him. I loved his show. I loved yeah. him as a person. Um, and I went to his place, and I got to see all these kangaroos just laying around and pet them and talk oh, to them. And it was so much fun. I mean, it's something you don't get to see over here. They were like squirrels, you know? <laughs> they were all over the place. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Maybe not the city, but I was kind of out in the country. Yeah. <laughs> A question from Willem. Uh, Wilhelm. Wilhelm? Willem. Uh, Wilhelm. Uh, do you have any plans or projects in the works? I do. I have a couple of uh, very big projects in the works. Oh, wow. Okay. Sadly, Top I can't secret. tell you about them. <laughs> mm. I am not at liberty to talk about them yet until they get a little more underway. But um, two projects I'm very excited to do. One is for television. One is a film. Um, I've already done a lot of the work on the film, and it'll be out next fall. And okay. then uh, another another one that a new project I just began and I'm really excited about it. It'll be hopefully on TV within a year or two. Okay. We're excited. I guess it's so, Hmm. I don't know if you can tell us then even this much in this film, are you in the film and two, are you Elvira in the film? Uh, no, nope, that's too much. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble. I will say I'm not Elvira in the film. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, you know, there were all like Pee Wee, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, so, you know, there were so much times in, in the 1980s when you appeared as other characters uh, here, as you mentioned, you were what, Biker Mama, I think, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Biker Mama. That was it. What I was it like? Beat up okay. Pee Wee Herman, which is like a dream <laughs> come true for most right. people. <laughs> Imagine it's like beating up your brother, but all the time you probably had spent together by then. We had spent a ton of time together and I love Paul. He's one of my best, best, closest friends. Yeah. The, um, what, what, what was it like to be on a set or in film playing someone other than Elvira? Did some sort of, uh, was it liberating to take a break from, you know, uh, the character at these different moments? Uh, no, it's scary as hell to me. Oh. I can't stand acting as myself. It terrifies me. Um, it's so weird. Elvira is like putting on a, you know, some kind of a helmet and a mask. I, okay. I don't know. I feel very, very, uh, you know, uninhibited dressed as Elvira. But man, playing myself eh, scares the crap out of me. I'm, yeah. I do it if people ask me. I don't go out for roles purposely um, looking for other acting work, believe me. But if somebody, a friend or someone says, we want you to play this part, you know, I've done it. So. Yeah. Yeah. That, oh, it terrifies me. Ugh. 
So, yeah, and the way you describe it, and I guess, you know, um, it occurred to me reading the, when you, reading your story here. Again, folks, get this book. It's really awesome. It makes a great Christmas present or whatever holiday you might celebrate. But talking about how you, you characterize yourself uh, as a shy person in everyday life. So it does seem like uh, that, the way you describe it, like you're putting on a suit of armor that protects Cassandra in the meantime. And um, It feels like that. It feel, I, I feel I put on that drag and I feel so... Confident and ballsy and, and like I can say or do anything and I won't get in trouble. It's really weird. You know, I don't know. And then I, I'm myself and I'm kind of like, Oh my God, I'm going to screw up. I don't know. <laughs> weird. Maybe I, maybe I should head over to the psychiatrist's office after this. <laughs> Never know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting you say all this because again, the, the, I mean, the dress is so, maybe you said, maybe you made this point. I'm just, that's where I'm getting it from. The dress is so revealing and vulnerable itself, but yet, you know, emotionally, I guess you feel so protected. It's really quite know, an interesting, it, you know, contradiction. It is weird. I think I really need to see a doctor. I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah. I, I recommend it to everybody. I've gone many times, many years. Uh, it's kind of like a year long therapy session. It really sure. was. The yeah. book was uh, really good for that. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine committing, yeah, a lot of things like this. You know, you tell that story, uh, maybe I shouldn't say, because folks who read it, this book, you know, you get to the ending of it. It's so touching. Oh, my goodness. There's those moments at the ending. I, I, I mean, there's so many times throughout the book, I wish I could time travel and just hug you, you know, just say you're going to be, you'll be, you're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But uh, that ending, wow. But talking about putting something in the book reminds me of the moment at the end where you talk about, well, towards the end when you talk about writing a letter to your father. Um, yeah, that idea of committing something and then maybe you can be sort of let it go finally. Just get it out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I even made my manager cry. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't cry easily, but yeah, the ending, a a lot of people have told me they, they kind of, uh, have been tearing up there at the ending. Yeah. There was some heavy things involving my family and my sisters who passed away from, Mm -hmm. um, drug and alcohol addiction and yeah, some tough moments in my life, you know, that I think a lot of people will relate to. Um, and I hope, I hope not directly relate to, but, yeah. but maybe something in their life is similar. Yeah. Well, it's um, good. You know, it's just a, it's easy to, well, you've got a couple layers here. One, you've got a character that's not you, but is part of you right. uh, that needs to be peeled back, I guess. But then yourself to, to find out that folks that we've adored for so many years, that seem so, you know, have it all. It's easy to have this impression of folks that are, you know, on screens that they have it all, right? Everything's perfect Yeah. to, to yeah. hear these real stories and say, okay, maybe in my life, I can get through these challenges too. Other folks have them. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. And I, I was glad that people kind of know where I came from, because I think a lot of people do get the impression about, Oh, they're a celebrity. They had it made. It was easy. They, you know, just got this or that. And for some celebrities, that's true, you know, but I wanted, uh, I I wanted people to know that I worked hard. I struggled. I came from a, 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 you know, not, not poverty, but certainly not, you know, not even middle-class, um, and had kind of a tough childhood and grew up. And the whole point of that is, uh, being persistent and going after what you want, setting a goal for yourself, trying to get there um, is is something that, that, you know, anyone can do, no matter where you're from or what your background is or what has happened to you. I hope that comes across. Mm, I hope it will inspire people that, yes. you know. Yeah. 
Uh, speaking of uh, your character, the connection between you and your character, Chase asks, in contrast to your actual personality, how much of you, how much are you like Elvira and how much are you much removed? I guess. That's, yeah. That's, yeah, no, it's a good question because I used to say all the time that I was nothing like Elvira. We were oh. exact opposites. I really did. And then one day it kind of dawned on me. And this is even, this is another question for the psychiatrist's office. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like Elvira has my personality when I was a teenager. It's mm. really weird. And I think if you read the book, you'll see that I'm very much a risk taker, very overly confident. Uh, I was kind of a know-it-all, loudmouth, smart ass. And I think Elvira got all those attributes. And Cassandra luckily grew up into an adult and calmed yeah. down and wow. became somewhat of a normal person. But Elvira took off with my uh, teenage personality. That's interesting. It's like having a, you know, you talk about people have split personalities to deal with trauma, but then you have one where you choose consciously. I'm going to, and you didn't do it to deal with the trauma. Well, it may have been a result of the trauma, but you didn't say, I'm going to do a TV show. I'm going to do a film so I can be Elvira to protect me from it. But that is really fascinating. Yeah, I I almost think it was some kind of splintering off at yeah. that time, you know, and personality wise. And I mean, they, they see, that's why we need to go to the psychiatrist's office. Yes. Again. But um, I even did have a therapist tell me one time that it, that it was a little bit like uh, part of my personality has splintered off into this character. Mm. So, that's so I may be talented or maybe just. <laughs> Don't say it. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. <laughs> um, I know there was a question here about, oh, here it is. Uh, Brandy asks, Will you ever do conventions again? That's one question. And will we ever see Elvira again? That's a different question. Oh, that is a different question. I think about both of those questions all the time, Brandy. I'm not kidding. First of all, I sincerely really miss doing conventions. It's where I get to interact with my fans, where I get to hear from them and they get to tell me what they think about things that I'm doing. And I I miss seeing them. I miss being around them. I love my fans. I mean, I was a big fan girl when I was a kid and I, I, you know, chased bands around, I, movie stars, whatever. And, uh, I, I, I feel the same way, you know, my fans feel toward me. I used to feel towards other people and, and I, and I miss that. I, they're like friends to me. They, they really are. It's hard to describe, but so many of my fans and, and I think Isaac, I believe Isaac, one of the first people on here, uh, I have a, great fan named Isaac who just wrote me the most beautiful, beautiful letter about my book. And and I'm wondering if that was Isaac. I don't know. Could have been somebody different. There's a lot of Isaacs out there, but my fans are very, very close to me and I miss seeing them and long, long, long story. But I hope that I get back to doing conventions um, really soon. I mean, you know, everybody does. Um, And what was the other part? Conventions. Well, we see Elvira again. I don't know about, I, you know, I said I was going to retire Elvira when I turned 40. I started out at 30. I said 40 was going to be the end. Then I said 50. Then I said 60. Then I said 70. And now I'm really thinking I really shouldn't do it anymore. And then I see Jane Fonda doing, you know, Frankie and Grace at right. two years old. And I go, hmm, maybe it could work. I don't know. Who knows, man? Yeah. You know, you're talking about how you are. You were a fan once. In this book, there are the craziest stories that one woman, I guess a girl, you were a young girl at the time, really. You were in high school, right? Teen. Yeah. 
goes on to meet rock musicians that come, you know, come by. Crazy story about Jimi Hendrix uh, running. Oh my gosh. Again, Forrest Gump. Did you, have you ever had a fan go to such lengths to meet you? Uh, I think I have. Yeah. You know? I've had fans uh, hiding in places, but a little scary, you know, when you're oh, a woman. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've had them hide in my dressing room and pop out. Suddenly. Oh my goodness. Uh, I've had them waiting for me uh, backstage at different TV shows and stuff. Um, but thankfully, uh, 99% of them have been good experiences and, and worked out really great. Nothing crazy. Oh, my little dog is here. He's starting to, he's been knocking on the door. Oh. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, it's been really good, uh, good experiences for, with, with that. So I'm lucky. Yeah. I'm lucky. I had a few uh, bad experiences early on stalking situations mm. that yeah. weren't so pleasant. But uh, yeah, I think it's different if you're a woman, you know? I was just saying, and guarantee those were all men because men are gross. Well, they can be, yes. <laughs> uh, Missy asks, what's the name of your book? Here it is, Missy. Yours cruelly, Elvira. Elvira. Should hold on this side so the light's still, there you go. Yeah. Um, let's see, we had another question here. Oh, what are you, okay, here you go. So when you're not busy writing a book, where did it go here? What do you enjoy doing in your free time? Do you have any hobbies? Yeah, that's so funny. People always ask me about hobbies. And, you know, it turns out that besides trying to grow my hair really long, uh, I think my hobbies are my work because mm -hmm. my work encompasses so many different things. It's not like I do one thing. Um, right. I get to act, I get to sing, I get to dance, I get to write, um, and a million other things. So really my work is my hobby. I don't have any others. It's kind of sad. I enjoy cooking Italian food, but I haven't even had time to do that recently um, because I've been so busy in the last few years. So, you know, I mean, it's a great thing that your work is your hobby. If you really love your work, then it's a fantastic hobby, right? It's not work if yeah. you really love it. So, yeah. I mean, I have my moments where I'd rather not work, We, you know, or rather just be laying down and having a glass of wine or something. But um, yeah, I just really enjoy what I do. And it's always, always mixing it up. It's always something new every day. Good. Yeah, that's, hey, that's fantastic. That only, that's for us. That's great because maybe you will keep doing it. Push that goal out further. Well, yeah, like, exactly. Whether you appear as Elvira or Cassandra as another, Cassandra as another character, we'll follow you. We're going to be there. Okay. Uh, James is asking. Uh, oh my gosh, this question's so funny. Okay. That? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I can okay. say them. Uh, I use a lot of uh, colorful words. You yeah. Know, you kind of see how I talk. They're in this book. <laughs> they are. They're all in there. Um, I'm sure I shocked some of my relatives. I have some very religious uh, relatives that, oh, right. I'm sure when they read this book, they're going to be a little surprised about how I talk. Oh, again, you, your life, the way it's, you, there's so many contradictions that it really does seem, you know, and you do talk about how, I, I talked to Dee Wallace a couple of weeks ago, not only about her career, but she, you know, she wrote this book recently, Born, and she's been writing about this subject for a while about, uh, about affirmations, about self-creation. And I, and I, you know, she calls them claims. I am a fan of that. The whole Louise Hay, Wayne Dyer, you know, all that stuff. And that. it seems to me that, you know, and you, you talk about, again, I feel like I'm giving spoilers here. Elvis Presley himself said to you that, you know, something is not a coincidence. I mean, there's so many moments in your life where, come on. I mean, you were make you were creating a job, a role for yourself that didn't exist, that you were uniquely suited for. Did that occur to you as it was, 
maybe happening or coming together that? No, not as it was happening. It occurred to me after I saw the whole thing happen, I, I kept saying to myself, even when I wrote the book, wow, look how that happened that got me there. Look how this happened that got me there. Um, I really, truly believe nothing is a coincidence. And I'm very much in the um, world of like the secret, you know, that mm-hmm. the, the book about what you see, what you believe. Um, if you concentrate on it, if you set goals, if you truly believe you can do it, it will happen. And that goes both good and bad. You know what I mean? It goes, uh, right. you've got to watch out what you think because things that you repeatedly think over and over uh, do happen. But in my life, I mean, like meeting Elvis, I mean, come on, I'm a 14 year old. I see him in Viva Las Vegas, Viva, yeah, Viva Las Vegas. Three years later, I'm in Las Vegas. I'm meeting Elvis. I'm in a show called Viva Like Girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that just a coincidence? I don't know. I, I one time was sitting around talking about Brad, uh, uh, well, Brad Pitt. He comes to my door. He buys my house. I was sitting in a bar one night with a girlfriend talking about Nicolas Cage. I get a tap on my shoulder. Uh, can I buy you ladies a drink? It was Nicolas Cage. I mean, come on. Does that just yeah. happen? I don't know. Um, I had a really weird recent experience. Um, as I said, I love Rhonda Byrne, who wrote The Secret. And I was reading her new book, The Greatest Secret. I'll give her a little plug here. It's a fantastic book. And um, a friend of ours, uh, we went up to Santa Barbara to see a, a couple of friends of ours. And they said, oh, do you mind if we bring another friend along? And I was like, oh, great. You know, I really kind of just wanted to visit with them. And, and uh, you know, we reluctantly said, okay. And we go there. We met them at the restaurant. The friend they brought along was Rhonda Byrne, the <laughs> author of The Secret. Of course. <laughs> yeah, which I was, I almost fell off my chair. I really did. And I got this fantastic, like, hour and a half conversation with her about, about, just what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, that was just amazing. Of all the people in the world, there are more than 10 people in the world. Yeah. Who, why, and how did Rhonda Byrne show up at this restaurant having dinner with me? I don't get it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, and the story is so amazing how that sort of, you know, comes together. I did ask you, oh, so, you know, James asks about a biopic. Has it been greenlit yet? That's my question. Oh, that, that is something I really, really want to do, really work on. I am working on another project right now that we're just starting, which I can't talk too much about, but I would also love to do a biopic. Everybody's been saying, who would play you? Yeah, that's what James asked. Oh yeah, James, I see it right there. Um, I say Dolly Parton, but you know, (laughs) I don't know. We could be wrong. I was trying to think what Elvira would say. Who has the brass breasts to play you? Something yeah, like Dolly. That. Yeah, definitely not Dolly. Yeah. Well, yeah, and look, it, to, to your credit, I mean, you are such a unique personality, and it'd be hard. I can't. I can't imagine a more contemporary actor James could play uh, Elvira, except Cassandra. And by the way, I mean, you playing her on the Goldbergs recently, or you know, you did that stuff for Shutter. You couldn't. I looked. At, I was watching a lot of footage of you getting ready for this. You wouldn't necessarily know, except for the quality of the video. That you were, you know, a decade older or younger. Oh, it's just thank you. everything. It's really amazing. Good lighting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Magic lighting. Uh, no, yeah. no, no, no. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, oh, John Henderson writes, Elvira was clearly the best character presenter of the 80s in all time. Yes, John, we agree. Cassandra, who would you put in second place? Oh, he's trying to start some trouble here. Joe Bob Briggs, Fenguli, <laughs> someone else. Did you ever see them as competitors? Hmm. No, I, I I love Joe Bob Briggs and Stanguli. I, I adore both of them. Um, I was so excited to be on Shuttered because they were on, they're on there, you know, with their own shows. And uh, I never saw them as competitors. We're all in the same school, all of us, you know. We're like the last of the horror hosts. I hope not the last, but um, yeah, no, definitely not competitors. And so let's see, uh, it was clear that the presenter all day. Um, second place after me. I wouldn't want to, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to say, because it'd be like, I like somebody better than the others. Right. So I'm just going to keep quiet on that one. It is interesting. Like, you know, so those folks are in the, like you said, similar presenters in that regard. And there's a long history, particularly in LA of folks that, uh, you know, did horror presenting before you, but it does seem like in the 1980s, there was like this nexus. And maybe this is again, going back to how you manifested your life, yeah. but this in the 1980s in particular, we had this, you know, renewed fervor for everything. 1950s, mm -hmm. uh, the horror genre had sort of been rebooted in a way, you know, in the in 1980s films. Um, so there's a new love of that. Mm -hmm. Um, MTV, you know, which provided these opportunities to have these little, you know, interstitials or whatever you'd call them. Uh, <laughs> My dog is something. <laughs> I'm what sorry. Is, there he is. Oh Look my it. gosh. That Hi, is amazing. I love that. Came up and started humping my leg. Oh, what is your dog's name? His, his name is Vinny. He's named after Vincent Price. Oh, of course. Oh, Vinny. Hey, Vinny. Sorry to interrupt your question. Yeah, no. Was, I couldn't sit here with him. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. It was a question. I guess to get your thoughts about the 1980s as a, as a decade that, I don't know, seemed to provide the great sort of, you know, I don't know, the chemistry necessary for Elvira to sort of explode the way she did. Yeah, it did. It kind of all came together, you know, in a really great way. Uh, I need to stay off there and see off my leg. Um, <laughs> it, it, I, I, you know, I think that's happening again, though. I think it's just another time period. Um, I don't know if it was just the, it, unique to the 80s. I think nostalgia is bigger than ever. And I think... Um, one of the reasons Elvira is so kind of happening right now and popular is that um, people are, especially with the pandemic and everything that's going on, they're thinking back to when they were kids and they're really yearning for that, you know, that moment when they sat there with their dad or their mom or their grandma or their grandpa or whoever and watched Elvira on TV. And it's very comforting, you know, now. So, um, I mean, that's kind of a different Vain, then you were going in about the 80s, but yeah, yeah the 80s did. Uh, I think it was the last time before things were happening before the advent of the internet, and mm -hmm. I think that really changed things, don't you? Right. I mean, oh the internet came yeah. along, and yeah, the, the stuff that happened in the 80s couldn't happen now. Yeah. A lot of the like. I couldn't be on a little local TV show hosting horror movies. Uh, it'd be nobody would be watching it. Yeah, it'd have to be on the internet or it wouldn't be happening, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. And how would you, there's so much noise now, unfortunately. So much, so much going on. You know, I was on TV when people had just like a few TV choices to watch, you know, not like 90 million. So yeah, I think that era is kind of a, has gone by. I mean, and I don't know about horror hosts hanging in there. What, something that happened about horror hosts, it's a bummer, is if you don't have the films, 
and you don't have the rights to them to mm. show them, uh, you cannot have a horror host. So right. you have to go to a very large company that has the money to get the rights to these films so that you can then host them. Um, back then it was like, literally the station I was at had these films laying around just rotting over there. Mm. And like, let's put them on late at night with a horror host that would give them a little new life, you know, because people have seen them a thousand times. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think all that could, could come together again. Yeah. Not yeah. the computer around. Yeah, it's a different paradigm, certainly. Yeah. We've only got a few more minutes here with Cassandra, so I'm going to squeeze some more questions in. Let's see, someone who hasn't asked a question yet, if we can get someone else in here. Um, oh, I like this one. The, the, what oh, yeah. piece of art, music, book, movie was most influential? I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Um, yeah. You know, and it's funny, your last name is Rice, but uh, Anne Rice just mm. passed away. And that, yeah. I was so sad about that. I... Really, the interview with the vampire was such a huge book for me. It really inspired me. Loved that book. And I uh, was very sad to hear about her passing. Um, that was a big one. But I, I'd say probably if you read my book, I think really dorky movies like Bye Bye Birdie with Anne Margaret and Viva Las Vegas with Elvis Presley and Anne Margaret. Uh, uh, Sweet Charity, all these old musicals that I, I love. They were very influential. And one movie, especially House on Haunted Hill, which I saw when I was um, in between second and third grade, really changed my life because it completely got me into horror. And so I think without maybe that happening, I wouldn't be where I was. I even think without most of those movies happening, I wouldn't be where I was. So movies have been, had such a huge influence on my life. Um, you know, I could have maybe chosen better movies. <laughs> I would have gone somewhere else, right? But but they made a big, big difference in my life. And I hear from people over and over again how Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, which, you know, many would consider ridiculous fluff, uh, has made a difference in other people's lives. Um, sure. So, you know, it, it's funny, but they're just, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm looking at these questions coming in. Um, yeah, I don't know. Where was I going? Oh. Yeah, well, your favorite, yeah, influential art. <laughs> anyway, oh, God. My, so, my brains are kind of fried today. I know. I didn't realize you were doing all these back-to-back. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll let you go in just a minute here. Um, no, let's see I'm, I'm want... loving this. That, that, okay, good. Nothing, yeah. You, you talked about, you know, we know you're, you know you're a fan of classic horror films. Do you keep up on horror? Are you interested in horror since? You know, uh, other contemporary horror or horror? You know, I, I mean, I do in a way. Um, I, I, I try to. It's so funny. My partner... <laughs> <laughs> hates watching horror movies. So it's really hard to like, uh, sit down and watch a horror movie. I mean, um, because she doesn't, she doesn't like them. She gets scared of them. So yeah. I, I'm always having, you know, wanting to see them and she doesn't really want to see them. But um, I do like horror movies that have a little humor in them, like Shaun of the Dead. And, or I just recently, I was a little late to the party. I saw um, what, uh, what we do in the shadows. Oh, I love that show. Yes. I love that. Oh my God. That's a good I did one. The, the movie I saw, not the TV oh. show. But yes, both. Yeah, and like I said, a little late to the party there. Uh, recently, I love The Witch. I love Get Out. Oh, yes. So oh. I, I, I see a few of these things. Um, I just saw the new Edgar Wright movie just uh, about a week ago, um, A One Night in Soho. Right. Mm -hmm. Very interesting movie. And uh, so I, I do see some when I can 
twist her arm and make her watch them with me. <laughs> so it seems more like the in- more intellectual or clever type of horror films, not your, what do they call that? Torture porn where they, yeah, so many. I do not like are, any of that. I don't yeah, like yeah. watching it. I don't like slasher. Yeah. That ter- no movies. Yeah. Um, I do like my friend Rob Zombie's movies. I always go to those. I don't know if I could say like, but I, I think they're so damned over the top that I mm-hmm. kind of think they're funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Way. yeah. There is interesting that, uh, especially in the 1980s, which is this decade of greed, you know, of decadence we think about. And uh, for a lot of people, a lot of people who, you know, didn't have money, weren't doing so hot, but it was a, certainly an era of, of excesses and gratuitous in films, gratuitous violence in horror films, but also gratuitous sex. Yep. And Elvira's this character who sort of, you know, plays on our love of scary things and love of sex. Mm-hmm. What is that nexus? Do you have any thoughts about how those two can sort of coexist? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, horror and sex have always kind of been rolled up into one ball. You know, if you look at a lot of the old horror movies that I, I hosted, <clears throat> it was always vampire, lesbians, having sex. And I, you know, I don't know. It was, it's mm-hmm. funny how sex and horror go together. I don't quite get the connection, mm-hmm. but it's there so much so often um vampire movies i kind of do get the connection i mean i find vampires very very dark and sexy and you know you you, you want to go to these vampire you know they're like oh, so hot and yes. like, come on, brad pitt playing a vampire brad pitt, right <laughs> yeah um but yeah i don't know why the, the the sex element and the horror just meld so well together it's just yeah there's somebody uh, give me an answer to that you can ask the therapist that when you go to see. Okay, yeah, but I, I, I'm going in an hour from now. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I I lost it. I, I, we had a question here, Kat. I don't know who asked it, but it was uh, about the comics. And wondering, oh, here it is. Oh, this is also from Chase. Chase asked a question earlier. Were you a part of the comic series? So there's a number of Elvira comics. Did you pl- have any role in writing or? Yeah, I've, I've had a role in all of them. Uh, not so much writing, but I uh, the comic books are their very their own category. Uh, I'm a writer, but I don't write comic books, but I do get all the, uh, I, I've done a Marvel comic book, a DC comic book, and uh, then Claypool comic book for many years. Now I'm with Dynamite, and they are putting out some fantastic comic books. Um, most recent one where Elvira is with Vincent Price, oh. solving all kinds of uh, yes. metaphysical capers, which I just love. And um, we're even talking about possibly doing a graphic novel of the book right now, but I have some really great writers and great wow. artists that I've been working with. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would I be amazing, like, yeah. I hope people would like that. Uh, could be oh, a, it, um, yeah, and, and so, uh, um, yeah, I really love doing the comics and I, I get to okay the, the dialogue and the, um, uh, the art. I have a say in all of it. I get to make suggestions. I talk to David Avalone, who is the writer uh, very often we go over stuff. Where is it going? Which direction is it going? So I got to oversee the whole thing, but they do all the heavy lifting. Very good. Uh, we have one other question here. I know we should be wrapping up. So let's, maybe we can finish on this one here. Randall asks, what do you consider your greatest accomplishment? Or he says Al, as Elvira, but I don't know what, <laughs> maybe as Cassandra, did Elvira accomplish anything? I don't. Yeah. Um, I don't know. My, probably my greatest accomplishment was coming up with the character of Elvira. You know, I mean, I wasn't something I really planned, sat down and said, Oh, I'll do this and this. It just, 
it kind of happened. So it was kind of a lucky accident. All the pieces just mm. fell into place. And I had this character and maybe my greatest accomplishment, actually even better than coming up with Elvira was keeping the rights to the mm. character. That is a big, big deal. Um, I don't know if you guys out there and Facebook land see all these millions of characters that there are. None of those characters own their rights. So when you see a, an action figure or a pinball machine or whatever it may be, um, somebody else is getting paid for that, not yeah. the character. And I, I think Pee Wee Herman and I are maybe the, we always say we're like members of the most exclusive club in the world. We're two people who have completely different characters and we're able to hang on to all the rights. So maybe that's my greatest accomplishment. And maybe yes. writing this book might have been my also another of my greatest accomplishments. It was, uh, oh, yes. Oh, we wrap it up right in the book. Well, yes. We are so, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> There's something about, the, if you have a certain number of point of contacts, you can convince someone to do something. All right. There was, a, there was two at one time there. Yeah, Seriously. But look, we, my book. <laughs> I, I agree. This, this is among your greatest accomplishments. And seriously, folks, I do thoroughly suggest if you have eyes, well, that sounds terrible. If you can, if you like reading anything, what's that? One eye? Yeah. One eye. Uh, seriously, lovers of stories, lovers of love will like this store book. Um, Cassandra, we're so grateful that you created this character and you spent so much time, you know, devoted to it because you brought us so much joy and happiness and some folks encouragement. Uh, and uh, th thank you so much for your time. Thanks guys. This is a true story. I'm about to tell you guys, I told you once before, I remind you, I fell in love with Cassandra Peterson reading this book and watching her videos. Aww. It was so wonderful to be able to speak with her. Um, I think I'm over it now. I'm over her. Uh, okay. and it has nothing mm -hmm. to do with feeling like whether I, I stand a chance. It's not about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think I'm still it's crazy. Important. I'm still crazy about Elvira. And I still, <laughs> I still, I still admire and adore Cassandra Peterson. Just mm -hmm. you read that book and you read about the life she had and how she got to where she is. It wasn't by happenstance. It wasn't by luck. It was perseverance really. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And that's, I don't know, someone you would root for. And uh, I'm so glad that she's achieved what she has. Absolutely. I loved hearing what she had to share with us. Just say the regular stuff, right? Is that why you're pointing? Yeah. It's a, okay. Time to end this thing. Yeah. All right. Hey, our <laughs> episode today, just like our others, are brought to you by our, uh, in part, uh, to, thanks to our Secret of My Success level Patreon supporters, John Henderson, Greg Coletta, Bart Arnold, John Kaminsky, and John Reddick. And if you go to patreon.com slash 1980s now, you can help us invite more guests like Cassandra Peterson mm -hmm. to our show. Oh, yeah. And you oh. get to hear what Ray's cooking up behind the scenes yes. for special Patreon episodes. That's right. On Patreon, we talk about all kinds of cool stuff, but you mm -hmm. don't get to hear it because you won't give us money. <laughs> yeah, so fix that problem. <laughs> Fix your problem. Um, where'd your affirmations go, Ray? You know, I, I texted you guys, hey, I'm doing these affirmations and the downloads are going through the roof. And then the next day, the, the downloads just tanked. And I thought, oh, Ray is this up. I know he's doing something. He's saying the opposite or he's joking around about not. this, half-assing it. I did not. I said what you said. All right. I was affirmative. I right. said, 
Jesus Christ, I'm tired of working for a living. I knew it. I want to be a podcaster. I want to get paid to do this all the time. It's like he stirred something into the mix. It just tainted the whole thing. I got to get back to it. There's always always Satan. (laughs) Hey, on that note, we will talk to you next time on 1980s Now. See ya. Later. Later.